this world of sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. Like a bird out of prison that's taken its flight. Like a blind man that gone pay back his sight. Like the poor wretched beggar found fortune and fame. I'm so glad that I found out he would bring me out through his holy name. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. I'm glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. Let's take our Bibles again tonight and turn over the book of Revelation. We're going to go ahead and continue in our message from this morning, Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> We're going to read through verse 6 to kick things off. I did have a couple of things I want to share with you very quickly. <clears throat> what do you call a camel without a hump? <clears throat> what do you call a camel without a hump? Humphrey. Hey, these are singles jokes, okay? I just thought they, they thought they were pretty good this morning, so I thought I'd share just a couple of them. <clears throat> that was a pretty good one, wasn't it? Humphrey, that wasn't one of the good ones? Okay, well, here, how about this one? <clears throat> what, um, what's worse than a giraffe with a sore throat? A hippopotamus with chapped lips. <clears throat> I like it. <clears throat> okay, how about this one? How do you get dragon milk? From a cow with short legs. <clears throat> Dragon milk. Moo is right, yeah. <clears throat> All right, what's the difference? You got to listen now. What's the difference between a rooster, Uncle Sam, and an old maid? <clears throat> the difference between a rooster, Uncle Sam, and an old maid. Here it is now. 
The rooster says, cock-a-doodle-doo. Uncle Sam says, yankee-doodle-doo. And the old maid says, any doodle do. <laughs> All right. All right. <clears throat> All right. That's pretty good, right? <clears throat> this is what we do in our class. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20, again, beginning in verse 1. Let's just read through verse 6, all right? And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into out of the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. <clears throat> now again, we uh, addressed that issue this morning and I'm going to go ahead. And, guys, I know I didn't give you a heads up, but if by chance it's there, we'll look at it, <clears throat> but uh, it, he's got to get it up there. I didn't tell him to be prepared there. I just kind of moved right along, but as soon as you get it, it's, is it there now? Oh, okay. All right. <clears throat> just go ahead. I'll keep talking, and you just keep working, and uh, we'll get that up there sooner or later, and that way you can just see again. We'll summarize very quickly how things work, but we know that we talked about the rapture of the church. We talked about the tribulation, the revelation, which is the return of Christ to earth, of course, to establish and to set up his earthly kingdom. He would rule and reign on the throne of David, which is in Jerusalem, we said. And then, of course, we, we noted also that there would be that, uh, when he did arrive here on earth, there would be a big battle called Armageddon. We discussed that, talked about it very briefly. <clears throat> but nonetheless, we said last week that it wouldn't be a very long fight because he's going to speak and the victory will come. And so, <clears throat> nonetheless, <clears throat> excuse me, nonetheless, we found that there was a number of things happening. So let me just run through it real quick. We have uh, Revelation chapter 4. We have the rapture of the church. Of course, that concludes with the, the age, church age, in which we presently are in. So then we have the rapture of the church. <clears throat> then, we, of course, we have, following the rapture, we have the seven-year tribulation. Of course, that's a time period where Satan uh, incarnate shows up called Antichrist. Uh, and he turns around and requires uh, everybody to get a mark, 666. And um, if they don't, then they can't buy or sell. And, of course, uh, God is pouring wrath upon the earth and those that had, uh, had martyred his saints and uh, pouring wrath upon those who had rebelled and disobeyed against him, while Satan himself, incarnate there in the Antichrist, is going to be turning around and, uh, and uh, um, <clears throat> punishing those who won't take his mark. So rapture, seven-year tribulation. Then following the seven-year tribulation, we have the revelation, the literal return of Jesus Christ to the earth now and he's, uh, to establish his kingdom. And again, a big battle ensues, and in the end, we have the millennium. And that thousand-year reign where Jesus Christ sits on the throne of David and he'll rule and reign for a thousand years. And we talked about that this morning. We talked about the landscape 
of that period. And we said, obviously, that he would, he would rule and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem. We said that he was going to rule with a rod of iron. And that depicted the fact that he was going to be uh, uh, very intolerant of rebellion and disobedience. And he was going to demand that people follow and obey him. And instead of how it is now, where people are free to, to do whatever they choose, whenever they choose. And God seems at times to almost be so gracious and long-suffering that people get away with murder, so to speak. Well, that's not going to happen in the, in the millennium. It won't be like that, okay? And so uh, it's pictured and it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> um, shown by that rod of iron that he's going to rule with, uh, as the Bible speaks of. And then we said that Israel as a nation will be the preeminent, prominent nation uh, on, the, on the earth. Even as it was back in Solomon's day, it will be again in the day of Jesus Christ during the millennial reign. And so Israel will be the number one nation. And we noted that, that literally people will come from around, they'll grab a hold of a Jew, and they'll, they'll, they'll grab a hold of his uh, coattail and say, hey, take us to your city, take us to your leader, so to speak. You know, and they'll follow them right on in. Instead of us having to reach out and really try to grab hold of people and carry them back, so to speak, kicking and screaming, uh, they're going to have a desire and a love and a, a want to, to be around the Lord and, and the city of God because they know the blessing of God will be there. And we said also that not only will Israel be the prominent nation, but there'll be peace. Peace is going to prevail. And uh, we know that the angels came a number of years ago at Christmas time, as we often refer to them and speak about them. And he said, you know, the Prince of Peace and, you know, so forth and so on. People say, well, where's the peace at? If Jesus was peace, why in the world don't we see peace today? And we said, well, hey, you know, it's, it's whether or not he's on the throne. Where Jesus is on the throne, there's peace. Whether it's in your life or ultimately in the millennium when he's on the throne of David ruling and reigning there in Jerusalem, there'll be peace on earth. And so the Lord's going to bring peace with him. Jesus Christ alone can bring peace to the, to the broken heart, to the hurting soul. And he alone can bring that peace that we need in our lives. And so we noted that. We said, who will be in the millennium? And we talked about it briefly. I didn't get a chance to talk about it much. But we said it was going to come those, those that will be in the millennium. <clears throat> Again, remembering we have the church age, the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, the return of Jesus Christ. And again, that big battle that ensues. And we said that there was going to be a judgment of nations. There will be those nations that truly helped, encouraged, and supported Israel during that period of time. And others that chose to side with Satan, the Antichrist, and ultimately bring discord and discomfort and destruction even to Israel. He said there's going to be different nations. And those nations will be judged. And those that aided and helped Israel will go on in. Those that didn't will not make it into the millennium. And so there'll be people just like you and I today, breathing, you know, flesh, just like we are now, uh, having, you know, getting into marriage and having children and so forth, so on. It'll be just like it is now. It'll just be a different time period in God's uh, plan. And it'll be called the millennium. And he'll be literally on earth with them. And they will be with him here. Won't need any faith at that point because Christ himself will be here. Isn't that interesting? No faith needed. Because Jesus will actually be present and visible. <clears throat> so we see that, uh, that, the, that they'll come from the tribulation period, that the resurrected tribulation saints, those that died during the tribulation because they would not take the mark of the beast, they'll be there in the, the tribute, they'll be in the millennium. We see church age saints like you and I who will be uh, taken out at the rapture, then ultimately judged at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll come back with the Lord Jesus in chapter 19 of Revelation. And there at that Armageddon battle, you and I will be following our Lord. And he'll speak. The battle will be won. And we'll rule and reign with him as well during that thousand-year uh, millennium. And then also, uh, <clears throat> we, we know that uh, the Old Testament saints are going to be there. 
you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Noah, those kind of guys. Uh, and so we noted scripture there that lends us to believe that as well. And so there'll be a number of people there during that thousand year millennial reign. And we'll be reigning together with Christ there. And there'll be those obviously that have come from the tribulation in. And so uh, it's going to be a, a marvelous and an amazing time in earth's history and humanity's history. We said that people are going to live longer. They're going to live longer. The Bible tells us there shall no more fence, excuse me, there shall be no more fence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days, for the child shall die a hundred years old. Meaning that, again, the implication is that, that people will begin to age again uh, and live longer than they do now. Remember, prior to the flood, there was uh, people living up towards almost a thousand years of age. And then after the flood, flood the, those ages began to dwindle. And pretty soon now, here we are today, right? Okay, you live to be 100 today, you're living to be really old. Uh, well, back in that day, uh, 100 years old was just an infant, a child, basically, if you could live to be 900, 1,000 years old. Well, in the millennium, again, we're going to revert back to that according to the passage, and it's, we're going to see people living longer than they do now. Why? Because there'll be some geological change, there'll be some cataclysmic changes that take place when the return of Christ comes, and so forth, so on. There'll be some things that actually take place and, and, and that will help to... Um, encourage that and, and make it possible. So we said that animals, another issue, you know, now where you have a lion that would chew up and eat up a child in the millennium, the Bible says they'll be led by babies or children. Isn't that interesting? So it appears that we'll no longer be carnivorous. It appears that the animals will be a vegetarian at that point again, just like they were prior to the flood. So there's a number of things going on here during the millennium, as we noted. Uh, we said we, we just wanted to consider for a while the, the, um, this aspect of the landscape, how it will look during the millennium. And that's what we noted this morning. And tonight we want to pick back up, and I want to touch on just two more issues. I want to talk about uh, not the landscape, but the last stand, the last stand. And then finally, uh, the lessons learned. And so tonight we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll touch on those two things. We've got a lot to accomplish. I, I don't know... Um, I don't see Brother Brad in here. I was going to have him give an update, but we're going to go ahead and do that in a little bit. We'll get you guys all squared away, tell you what you need to do. But again, we lost. You won. You know, it's me against the world. It always is. Notice you're the world and it's me. Love not the world. Okay, but anyway. It's getting deep in here. It's bad, isn't it? Okay. As, as they say, that's there's some bitterness here. There's some real bitterness Okay, so I better pray, and then we'll get into our message tonight. Father, we come to you thanking you, Lord, again, for the privilege that we have, Lord, to, to be here today. Lord, again, we are nothing without you. Lord, we are so thankful that you provide for us, and you protect us. You meet our every need. Lord, thank you for these that are here tonight, our guests, and Lord, just every uh, faithful, consistent member. We thank you, Lord, just for the reality of Jesus Christ, and for just the privilege that it is to have him living in us, and to be able to depend upon him and lean on him. Lord, you said casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Lord, thank you that we can cast our cares on him. And Lord, uh, we just pray now tonight that we'd learn something again that would encourage us, that would motivate us and help us, Lord, to truly live our lives more effectively for you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> as we move along, we saw the landscape this morning. Let's talk about the last stand. Take your Bible and look over verse 6 and 7 of chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 6 and 7. So we consider the last stand. Remember, we're in the millennium now. We are uh, coming toward the end of it. 
And uh, the millennium is 1,000 years long. You know, 1,000 years long. And uh, we're going to be there for that. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're going to be there for that. Um, you know, you're going to have a new body. You have a Christ-like body. You'll be able to eat and drink and all of that, but you also have the ability to, uh, you know how Christ would just show up here and there? Well, you'll have that ability. You'll, you'll have a Christ-like body according to Philippians chapter 2. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You won't have any more pain. You won't have to worry about needing glasses or a wheelchair or anything like that. You'll have a new body. I mean, it'll be awesome. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know how good a golfer I'll be in that day, but I'm sure I'll be better than I am now. You know what I'm saying? I, and not that I'm that bad now, really. <laughs> compared to some of you, I'm sure. But anyway, boy, I'm really being negative tonight with all this problem with the, uh, you know, <laughs> I hate losing. But anyway, <clears throat> so nonetheless, um, you, know, uh, you know, we'll have that new body and things will be going well like that, and that'll be great. And um, we're coming to the end now, this millennium. And so we're going to see there's a last stand. I mean, Satan, Satan is, uh, boy, he's an adversary, all right, but he is a worthy adversary. He's really a uh, he's, he's just a dirty fighter. Uh, verses 6 and 7 of chapter 20. Notice the Bible says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired. Isn't that interesting? When we look at the millennium, look at it as far as this passage in Revelation, it's one verse long. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the whole thousand years is condensed into one verse. Now, again, you can go back through the Word of God and you can find numerous passages that deal with the millennium. You find a number of prophecies that focus on it and direct their attention on it. However, here in Revelation, as we go through Revelation, we said, you know, uh, you see chapter 1, you know, an introduction to Revelation, and we're, we meet the Ancient of Days, and then we run right into chapters 2 and 3, where we have, uh, the, you know, that, the, the, the church age being depicted through the seven churches. And, and then, of course, right away in chapter 4, we have John, who's a, a representative of the church, being raptured out, chapter 4, verse 1. And two, and then all of a sudden, he gives us a picture of heaven there. In chapters 5 through 18, we see the tribulation period, and God devotes a number of chapters and verses to that so that we can get a good feel for it and we can understand the urgency and the need to warn people about the days ahead that fail to trust and receive Christ. And then chapter 19, here he comes back receiving, uh, to, to, you know, the revelation of Jesus Christ returning to earth. We have, again, that, that tremendous battle that transpires and takes place spoken, boom, over with again. And here we end up in the millennium. A thousand years now. We're ruling and reigning with Christ in chapter 6. And then immediately, chapter, excuse me, chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 6. And then chapter 7, and when the thousand years are expired. Wow. Boy, that was quick, wasn't it? Boy, you know what? A thousand years is as a day to the Lord. Isn't it interesting? Man, I mean, a thousand years of the Lord is like like that. It's nothing. To us, it seems, wow. I mean, it's more than a lifetime, right? It's 10, 15 lifetimes, 20 lifetimes maybe. But to the Lord, it's so quick. And here in the passage, we're reminded again that our lives are but a vapor. And so here we are now at the end of the millennium, the, the, millennium, the thousand year reign. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Remember at the beginning of the millennium, Satan was, was, was chained and placed into the bottomless pit. I mean, he was chained. And someone says, wow, chained? Yeah, he was chained. Now, again, it's not a physical change, but it is a very literal chain. 
You've got to understand that the spirit world is as literal as this world. Just like your soul. Remember when Lazarus, he lifted up his eyes um, and he's in Abraham's bosom. But the rich man lifted up his eyes being where? In torment in chapter 16 of Luke. Let me tell you something. The Bible makes it very clear that he could feel and touch and taste. He said, let me dip the tip of, tip, dip the tip of your finger and touch the tip of my tongue, Abraham, with that water. Because I'm tormented in this flame. Now, listen, he didn't have a physical body, but he had a literal body. It, it had a physicalness to it. It was a spiritual body that had substance. And may I say that Satan is not a physical being. You wouldn't run up to him and grab him. That's why he has to be incarnate in the Antichrist. But he is a spiritual being. And let me tell you, the very chain that he'll be bound by will be just as real as, as, as anything that you can feel and touch. Now, you, you under, understand it'd be a little bit different. It's not going to be like real heavy, you know, throw it over your shoulder type chain that you and I would feel. But it's going to be a literal chain. And, and again, you've you got to realize that we were just at this. I mean, that Creation Museum was unbelievable. I watched the video there, and they're talking about outer space, right? and the distances of the galaxies and all that stuff, and different galaxies. How do they know that stuff? I really don't know that they do. I think they make it up, some of it. But they're like, that is 4,000 billion light years away. Well, how in the world would you know that? What? How is that possible? Light travels, uh, you know, we talk about the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Can you imagine that? 186,000 miles per second, and they're talking about light years. So multiply 60 times, uh, 60 times uh, 186,000, that gives you a, a light minute. And then you have to go to a light hour and a light week and a light month and a light year finally. And they're saying it's 400,000 million, billion, trillion. You know, I'm like, are you kidding me? But let me tell you something. At the edge of the universe... There, is a, there are literal doors to enter into the place that we call heaven. It's a literal place. It's a spiritual place. It's literal. Jesus Christ got a new body. You want to know why? Because it's adapted to the spirit world. And he went to heaven. And he offered the blood of Calvary on the mercy seat in heaven. It's literal. It's a little bit different than our literal, though. We all we know is physical. Like, hey, it's physical and it has substance, but it's spiritual. I, I can't hardly explain it. It's so hard to understand. But it's a reality of life. It's just as real as this. You've got to be able to travel pretty fast to cover 400,000 million light years. And I'll be able to do it. In my new body, that is. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> we see here that Satan was bound then. He's not able to escape. He's not able to get out of this prison. For 1,000 years, life goes on without Satan, without his evil influence. The Bible says <clears throat> that ultimately he is loosed again. And when he is loosed, he goes about deceiving the nations. Now, you and I have an atomic nature. And everyone that will be in the millennium that comes out of the tribulation will also have an atomic nature at that point. Now, we'll have our new bodies. We'll be Christ-like. But they will have their atomic nature because they'll still have this old flesh. They won't have Satan to ignite it, though. You know, Satan is kind of like um, a match. Psh, lighting. 
the, the little sticks and twigs to start a fire. Satan's going to be bound, so the ability or the opportunity to be rebellious and disobedient is still there because the Adamic nature's there. Sin nature's still there. But you don't have somebody helping aid it and try to dig it up and try to help push it in the wrong direction. But as soon as he gets out and he's free again, there's problems. Look at verse 7 and 8 now. Excuse me, 7, 8, and 9. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Now here's another battle. Remember there was a battle before Christ's return in chapter 19, thousand years earlier. Now here we are, a thousand years later, another battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Man, there's going to be a lot of people deceived, aren't there? And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. What beloved city would that be? Jerusalem. Because, see, that's where Jesus Christ reigns and rules from. He lives there and, and his, his seat is there. And so the devil goes and deceives the nations and brings the, the, the nations of the world together to one more time seek to overthrow the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. And the Bible says simply this, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Every time, you know, the devil tries to get an upper hand. Every time he tries to overthrow God, it seems that that quick things get handled. Man, he's going to just send fire from heaven. He's going to wipe them out. And that's the final battle between God and Satan. No more battle between God and Satan anymore. It's done. It's over with. From then on, Satan, the Bible tells us, is going to be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever to deceive no longer chapter 2 20 verse 10 and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever he's not getting out it's over with this is his last stand and boy he makes a big deal of it and he works very diligently to overcome the lord jesus christ Satan is always seeking to overcome the Lord, always trying to get the upper hand, always wants to be exalted, magnified, and glorified above God. And it never, ever is going to happen on that end. Right now, he's doing a pretty good job of getting people to worship him. Right now, he's doing a pretty good job of keeping people from looking at Christ instead of looking at self and sin and Satan. But let me tell you something. There's coming a day when he's going to be locked away forever and ever, and you'll never have to worry about him again. the last stand. We see it there in chapter 20, verse 7 through 10. And that's the last time you're going to ever have to think, worry, or be concerned about Satan again. It'll be over with. Completely done. Satan does not win. He keeps trying, but he loses. And as that song goes that we sing around here from time to time, we're on the winning side. So what about some lessons learned then? We, we talked about and we noted the landscape. We considered the last stand. But what about some lessons learned? Well, Revelation chapter 20, verse 3. <clears throat> Again, the Bible says, He cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. 
and set a seal upon him that he should deceive, save the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Now, again, the devil, we said, is going to be cast into the bottomless pit. He'll be sealed up for a thousand years. And, of course, that corresponds with the millennium itself. And, again, we said that his evil influence won't be found on the earth during that time. Man is still going to have, as we said, he'll still be tainted with that atomic nature, but he will not have the match to ignite that nature. Now, again, and you say, why are you bringing this up again? Because it's going to be part of what we're going to learn. Again, as we see the devil loosed, deceiving the nations, we are very aware of his influence. And when he is unleashed, his influence is unleashed. And boy, does it create a lot of problems. I mean, so much so that those who once obeyed the Lord during the millennium will rebel and even fight against him. So what do we learn then? Number one... The devil's influence is very real and powerful. You know, we live in the world and we've always known. uh, If I said to you, what does gravity feel like? You'd go, what? That's stupid. What does gravity feel like? I don't know. I can't feel it. Oh, yes, you do. When you get on a scale, you feel it. You see it. (laughs) You see it. Okay? And in your feet, you say, man, my feet are sore from standing up all day. You feel gravity. But, but, you, but you've lived with it all your life, so to you, you don't really notice it at all. It's just par for the course. It's just life in general. It's just the way it is. And you know what? That's the danger in our lives today when it comes to Satan. From the time we were born, we have lived with the influence of Satan in our life. And so for us, we don't sometimes, we're not aware of it sometimes. We don't recognize it. We don't even realize that he's at work in our lives and in our marriages and in our homes and even in our communities and our country, our world. We, we don't recognize it because it, it's so common. It's commonplace. It's just normal. It's natural. But let me tell you, the devil's influence is very real and powerful. And although you and I cannot see Satan, you say, I saw him last night. Cook me dinner. Your wife? Okay, but anyway. You guys are really slow tonight. I've Mr. Jurgen liked it. I'm glad he did. I'm glad somebody likes it. <laughs> but you you can't see Satan. Somebody says, Well, I I I, I listen. Okay. Most of us have never seen him, all right? Maybe you have. I don't know. But I'm telling you, I've never seen him, that's for sure. But it doesn't mean that he's not actively at work in our lives. You you and I cannot dismiss the real presence and the real power of Satan or his influence in our culture and our communities. We can't do that. We've got to be so careful we don't just go, well, that's just because so-and-so's in leadership. That's because this person's in charge. And that's because this circumstance is taking place. And that's because, no, it's Satan. He is at work. You may not see him. You may not recognize him. You may feel that everything is just par for the course and normal. But let me tell you, he is at work and his influence is real and it is powerful. We speak about friends and their influence for either good or evil. And it's a very important part of our life. As we grow older, we need to understand that certain friends in our life will determine the direction we go. 
It's been said before, if you want to know where a teenager's going, just look at their friends and in one year they'll be there. And you know what? There's good, good, tr- there's good truth into that. I mean, it really makes sense. And it's true about you. Who are your friends? Because who your friends are, who you will become and be a year from now. I mean, if they don't love church and are not faithful in God's house, you better be careful being too close to friends with them because they will influence you in that direction. I'm strong enough. I can handle it. I know. Everybody can handle it. But be careful because, see, what we learn here is that it's not just a friend. It's Satan at work here in our lives. His influence is the problem. See, for good or evil, there is no greater influence, though, No matter how influential a friend may be, a family member may be, there is not one person in this world more influential or has greater influence in our lives than God does for good and Satan does for evil. Don't underestimate Satan's reality or his power in your life. Don't underestimate it. The first thing you ought to think when things are going on in your life is, okay, Satan... He's at work again. Here he is again, raising his ugly head. At work again in my life. At work again in my marriage. At work again in my family. At work again in my teenager's life or my child's life or my, 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 my boss's life or, or my teacher's life. Here he is again, functioning, working, influencing. We learn that. You say, where do we learn that? Because while he is in that pit, people, whether or not, they're acting out of love or feigned love. That's, that's going to be found to be the case. Some of them just because they're afraid of the punishment of the Lord Jesus Christ and the government that he will establish. But they're following the rules. They're doing what they're told. And as soon as he is released, they not only rebel, but they literally fight against God. Not a God they can't see but a God that they can literally shake hands with. Jesus Christ on the throne of David. A a literal God who created the universe, who will literally rule and reign in that place, who will have the kings of the earth coming to that place, who you and I will be able to see face to face in that day. No faith needed. But Satan is so powerful and his influence so great that people that literally shook the hand of Jesus Christ will try to stick a dagger in his stomach. Isn't that amazing? That's how powerful and how influential Satan is. And you and I, if we're not careful, fail to recognize that because we've always lived with that pressure. Number two, what are we to learn from this? That obeying out of duty and not desire leads only to destruction. Remember, there are those that will obey the Lord because of his government. He will rule with a rod of iron. They will obey the Lord's rules and regulations, but they are not obeying out of love for God. They're obeying out of fear for repercussions or consequences. Now, some would say, well, that's why you just, you know, all that legalism and all that, all those rules and stuff aren't worth a hoot. Okay, let's just go ahead and just get rid of all the rules in our society. Let's just get rid of all the rules in our society. And let's just say there's no speed limits anymore. There's no traffic lights anymore. There's no laws anymore. There's no rules anymore. 
And let's just say that all of that is done away with and gone. What kind of society would it be? It would be anarchy. It would be chaos. It would be confusion. There would be hurt and heartache more than ever before. Let me tell you, 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 you would thank God for rules in a society like that. But when it comes to our Christian lives and we're not careful, we, we fail to see the need for that. Hey, God is going to say, listen, there are rules to follow in the millennium. You need to keep these rules because they help everyone else. They, they protect the rights of others. They protect your rights. And they help to bring a society up in a way that's productive. And, and produ- it's productive for, for heaven. It's productive for earth. Hey, listen, it's a positive thing. But there will be people that will do it simply because they're afraid of the consequences. You have that everywhere you go. You have that in church. You realize there are some teachers and workers that only abide by the dress standards because they have to or they can't be a teacher. Choir members that will only be on time because they're afraid that maybe they'll get kicked out of choir. And I would suggest that we hold to those kind of standards. I'm just saying that there are things that we must maintain. There are standards and there are rules and there are regulations that are there for the betterment of all. You don't dismiss them. They're good. But there are some that do it simply for fear of consequences and others that do it for love of Christ. Now listen, the, tribula- the millennial period will be a time when there will be some that will only obey the Lord out of feigned faith or simply out of fear of repercussion and consequences. And the Bible tells us that those will immediately, under the right circumstances and under the right influence, turn their back not only on God, but then war toward Him and after Him. That's an amazing reality. He says in Matthew 15, 8, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. Talking about the people that lived in His day. And then in the millennium, that's exactly what's going to happen. People will say with their mouth, We honor you, Lord. We, we love you, Lord, but then turn around as soon as Satan is loosed and they will turn their, as soon as he turns their back, they'll take a knife and try to stab him in it because they did not obey out of love for Christ. They simply kept the rules. And let me tell you how important it is, obviously, for you and I then to obey not out of duty, but to obey out of desire. To do right because it's right to do and because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what happens to a teenager who simply follows the rules because that's what mom and dad tell them to do or her to do? As soon as they're old enough to get out of the house, where do they go? Out the door. Why? Because they, there was no real love for the right, for right. There was simply a desire to avoid consequences. That's all it was about. And so the first opportunity they get... Off they go. And we go, I don't get it. I don't understand it. They were raised in what seems to be a good home. Yeah, but their heart wasn't toward righteousness. It was simply an obedience, obeying rules, being simply a person of duty. Now listen, you can't change that heart, and neither can I. I don't care how lax you become, how many rules you throw out the window, you can't change that person because if they are determined to live a life of duty and not desire, then I don't care what you do, they're going to find their way to the wrong crowd and in the wrong place. It's just the way it is. And that's what happens in in the millennium. That's exactly what happens. Man, after 1,000 years of dwelling with God on earth, experiencing the peace, health, wealth, and prosperity that only God can provide, will still rebel against God, who's their creator. And they're still going to do it. Because they simply obeyed out of duty. 
and not desire and love for Christ. So obeying out of duty and desire is going to lead to destruction. Just like it does in the millennium, it leads to destruction today. The moment you don't have a desire to be in God's house, but you're only here because you just don't want someone to get on your back, you're headed for destruction. It's no longer desire. It's no longer love for Christ. It's just duty. I'm doing this because I have to. Well, let me tell you, just like those millennial people, you're in the same boat because sooner or later a better offer is going to come along. Satan will raise one up for you. And you'll take it and you'll abandon the Lord, His house, the people of God. And then you'll be out there in that world with everybody else dealing with the consequences that come. It's a sad place and it's hard to watch people wreck and ruin their lives. But that's what you do when you decide that you're motivation is simply duty but don't ever ever buy into the lie that because a church has standards they're the ones that are legalistic that's not true that's not true at all because that's not what turns a person to the world what turns a person to the world is their heart living a life of duty instead of love for Christ that's the problem all along that's always the problem The devil, number three, his ultimate goal is to dethrone Jesus Christ and to rule and reign himself. We find that, obviously, here. Again, he's already been defeated in chapter 19. He's been bound in a place called, you know, the bottomless pit. Does he learn his lesson? No. You want to know why? Because all that matters to him is him. That's all that matters. Nothing else matters. He is blinded by his own ambition. He's blinded by his own desire to rule and reign, to usurp the authority of God and to set in the position of God. He'll stop at nothing to achieve his goals either, by the way. He's more than willing to throw anyone under the bus to accomplish and to achieve his goals. And that includes you. He'll throw you under the bus too. The devil has no regard for you whatsoever. Everything he does is selfish, self-serving. The only one he really loves is himself. And the only purpose that you serve in his mind is a stepping stone to his personal goals. He'll step right on your back, right on up to the top in his mind. No desire whatsoever to help see you become a better person or to ultimately thrive in your life. His goal is supremacy, and that's all that matters to him. That is all that matters to him. And the sooner we as believers understand that and realize that there's not one thing that Satan dangles in front of our eyes that is worthy of us reaching out for, we're going to forever be on this roller coaster ride in our Christian life. Faithful, unfaithful. Faithful, unfaithful. You know, Good attitude, bad attitude. Good attitude, bad attitude. Um, I, it, it's just a roller coaster ride. Satan doesn't want anything for you but death, destruction, nothing good. 
Misery is our fate when we follow the devil. That's all there is to it. It's too bad we can't get that through our minds sometimes. It's hard. But again, remember, we've, been, we've lived this way our whole lives. We've always had the influence of Satan. So for us, it's normal. We can't recognize it sometimes. But the Bible teaches us to be very careful, to walk circumspectly, to open our eyes and to see that there's more to this battle than just humanity. There is a literal being called Satan, and he's at war with our God, and he'll use us to get to him. So be very careful with that. We've learned a lot over these last few weeks. We've considered the return of Christ. And it's important that we don't forget that this spiritual battle that takes place is legitimate. It's, it's literal. It's real. And so don't let your guard down. Make sure that you're putting on your armor. Make sure that you're in the Word of God consistently and faithfully. Make sure that you, you take time to not just pray, but to get in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to simply read your Bible, folks. You've got to spend time in His presence. There must be a reality there of His presence. Because without it, you will abandon Him in the midst of circumstance and trials in your life. You'll look for the answers that you desire instead of His will for your life. And you'll be disenchanted with Him like that. Because you deserve more than what you're getting. And that's a direct result of a failure to have a walk with God. Because when we're close to the Lord, we realize that everything God permits in our life has purpose and meaning. We may not understand it, but we trust Him because we have a relationship with Him, not just an acquaintance with Him. And we know that He's going to be with us in this life and even in death. And that is our real hope. That is the hope of the believer, that we will never be left or forsaken that he's always with us through it all. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon the Lord, the song says. That's the real lesson of life. We can depend on him. And so we can depend on him coming back too, can't we? He's coming back. So let's be ready for him. Father, we come to you. We thank you for just the privilege that we've had to gather tonight and to once again, learn some simple lessons from your word. And Lord, tonight we are excited about the fact that, Father, you are with us and you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, I, I know that 